I think what's really important is that there's a lot of people who want to draw close to God. They want to know God. They want to reflect the heart of God, but they don't want anything to do with building the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. Your journey of faith is something you're on, whether you like it or not, and we are here to help you grow and not shrink in your faith each and every no day. Shrinking. No shrinking. We've got to get big, um, and we want to be part of that process. We want you to know what you believe and why you believe it so that you can help define how you view reality through the lens that God has for you, which is the mm -hmm. Bible. And we want to help you critically think for yourself so that when the world throws you terms and phrases and new ideas, you can critically think through them yourself so that you're not led astray or pushed about by the winds of change just because, quote unquote, newer is better. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely not always true. So my name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome, everybody. It's so good to be with you today on this uh, 300th and what episode is this? Four. 304, 305. And if you haven't noticed yet, we've switched the Salty Pastor over to its new YouTube channel. And we probably ought to tell everybody because some because my mother called me and said, I can't find episode 302. What happened to it? Yeah, we are on 302. <laughs> We are, uh, Salty Pastor has its own website. We are still posting them on both. So if 302 isn't showing up, that might have been a slight error on our side. Oh, God. But um, we will let you know when we're going to stop doing that and have it exclusively on the other one. Wonder. And that will be soon. But you can just look up Salty Pastor Podcast on YouTube and it should pull up the new channel that you can subscribe, like all the old videos on there to help us get it boosted and get yes. people liking it. Like videos, like and subscribe, like and subscribe. So. Uh, yeah, if you're missing that, then we will check that on our side. Otherwise, um, we are still doing them on both right now. So you should be able to find oh, good. it wherever you want to. Well, I'll tell my lovely mom that she can, she is uh, 91, so, <laughs> but she still loves to listen. So yeah, we're doing a series over the summer talking about all the parables of Jesus that he told because these are the primary ways in which he taught about the nature of the kingdom of God was he told stories about it. And these stories were, of course, very apropos to the society at that time. And the book of Matthew, where we're reading a lot of these uh, parables out of, we'll get in John and we'll get in uh, Mark and Luke later. But these early ones were reading out of the book of Matthew. And Matthew's book was written particularly to convince Jewish people that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. So it was a very, very heavy Jewish audience. And so he wrote in a way to convince them. Okay. And so we have to keep that in mind as we read it. And I think what's really interesting is that if you grew up Jewish, right, you were taught that you were the chosen people and that you needed to keep the covenant and that God had called you and set you apart. Jehovah had called you, set you apart. And that if you followed his ways and kept his covenant, then you would walk in the blessing. And the last thing you needed to do is compromise that mm. or stop it. And then people who step out like, or people who are not pure bred Jewish people like Samaritans tended to be despised and Gentiles were despised. It's like, we can't intermarry. We can't socialize with you. We can't eat with you because we've been called out, right? We're separate. We're to be separate. So then along comes Jesus and he says, well, guess what the kingdom of God is like? 
And the Jewish people are trying to do what? They're trying to fulfill the covenant in order for them to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. But listen to this parable where Jesus then says, the kingdom of God is like a, heaven is like a landowner. So God is a landowner and he goes out and he hires workers to work in his vineyard. And he does this throughout the entire day and ends up paying them all the same. Mm. So the people who started early in the morning didn't get more and they were upset. And he says, I gave you the blessing that you knew and agreed to. Why are you angry or jealous or envious of me being gracious towards other people? And so on Tuesday, we really dug into this. Now today I'd like to kind of start, uh, kind of, uh, bringing it into modern day. Right. And the first principle I think is, is that we can never as followers of Jesus underestimate his generosity and desire to include people in his kingdom. Okay. We can never underestimate that. We can never lose that is our vision. And I, I say this for a couple of reasons. Number one is that that's what the kingdom of God is like. I mean, Jesus tells a lot of parables about that, right? There's the one about the, the guy that's throwing the party, right? That Mm -hmm. he invites people who are out on the road and all over the place, right? Yeah. And then the lost sheep, right? Lost sheep leave the 99 to go for the one. So there's, there's, he references this multiple times and anytime you repeat something multiple times, it's probably pretty important. I would guess. Yeah. And Jesus even said there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than anything else. Right. Right. One person turning back to God. So what we see is that the motivation in the heart of God is to do what extend his grace and generosity, his inclusion to, to everybody who will accept the offer. Right. Yes. And I think that's, that's really another very important fact is that we must accept the offer. But before we dig into that, I think what's really important is that there's a lot of people who want to draw close to God. They want to know God. They want to reflect the heart of God, but they don't want anything to do with building the kingdom of God. So they just want to show up, get what they need and then leave. Well, yeah, but it's deeper than that. You're under an assumption that drawing close to God doesn't include building the kingdom. Oh, defining the terms are important. You Very would important. Say. So just showing up is not enough. I mean, James talks about this, you know, faith yeah. without works. Yeah. Um, the great is debate, dead. which I know that can divide some churches <laughs> and probably has in the past. But yeah, the, the idea that just having faith is not enough. You have to be doing works and those works ideally are pushing the kingdom forward, right? Like that's what yeah, the works I think really that should the be only way as. to, you know, the only way to really draw close to God and deepen your faith is to care about what he cares about. Mm. Right. So, you know, I mean, uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you're dating somebody, you know, what if you went to this person that you're dating and you say, I really want to get close to you. I want to know everything there is about you. I want to, I want, I want us to have a really deep loving relationship. And then she says, well, I'm really, you know, I really love animals and I really am into, uh, this, uh, you know, drilling wells throughout, uh, Indonesia and Africa to provide clean water. And I really care about my family. And, and then you say, well, I don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. And we're not going to do any of that. Thing. Yeah. So I'm not going to do any of it because I don't care about that. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about you. And so she eventually is like, okay, this is me. 
Yes, these are important parts of me. These are the things I care about and want to be doing. And this is what Christians in America do every single day with God. Mm, that's salty, Pastor. That's very that salty. salty. Yeah, I wonder, because I mean, I think that's, especially because we let the world define terms so often, mm -hmm. we start viewing these terms through that lens, right? And right. so it's like your faith is showing up on Sunday and, you know, singing to a rock concert worship thing. That's a faith experience, right? And it's like, no, that's a worldly de definition of what your faith should be, right? Mm -hmm. Or even I, I was talking to uh, somebody who works in our office occasionally, and she was like, you know, talk to me about what discipleship means. And I was like, you know, you're doing this and this and this, and it's really great because that other person can kind of hold you accountable. And she pulled me aside today and she's like, I don't think you should use the word accountable anymore because the news recently has started saying, we need to hold so-and-so accountable and Russia needs to be held accountable. And she's like, it has this like really negative connotation. And I was like, you can't let the world take words and ruin them for you. Yes. They're going to ruin everything, everything. eventually. So <laughs> yeah. it's like the word accountability doesn't inherently have a bad connotation. In fact, it can be really great. Same thing with discipline. Discipline doesn't have to mean someone's taking a switch and beating you with it. Right. It could be, uh, you know, Finn, who edits all of our podcasts, he goes and works out regularly. He is disciplining his body. That's wonderful. And yeah. that's great. And that, and no one will look at that and be like, that's terrible. Why would he do that? They're all like, no, that's great. That's awesome. I wish I could do that. And that's what discipline is. It's, you know, taking time to force your. Yeah. It's to, focus. Focusing and, yeah. and having a, an accountability. A, accountability. And she got so mad, this lady, that she was like, well, you can't be using these words because they, they have these things. And I'm like, you can't look at these things through the world's lens because inve inevitably they will pervert every single thing we, yeah, every word we use, every phrase. Well, the the every best example of that idea. is the word love. Right. And so I think <laughs> making sure we understand that as we're diving into these things, like mm -hmm. God wants everybody, well, that that's not a transactional thing that's not a come to him on your own terms thing that's no a, he wants you in a very specific way and that relationship is two-way mm -hmm. and it does require that you care about what he cares yeah, about it's a costly peril if you want the costly pearl what have you got to do sell everything you got to sell everything there it's the field with the treasure in it if you right. want to buy the field with the treasure in it what have you got to do Sell, sell everything, everything. <laughs> right. to buy it, right? And well, and you're making that commitment. And you know, my I'm not married yet, but my understanding in marriage is you're giving up yourself so that yeah. you can be with this person. And I mean, someone could take that and be like, "Well, that's a toxic relationship. You shouldn't have to change anything about you." And blah blah blah. And it's like, but life if you truly, doesn't work uh, that way. But if you, that, yeah, but if you truly love that person, you're going to, yeah, do the hard things in order to give. You know, have a loving caring relationship and and god's relationship with god is significantly better you know all of these analogies yeah. fall apart when you when you use them with god but they help our brains who don't understand him fully kind of kind understand. Of grasp, yeah. <laughs> well the thing about it is i've never known a i've never known anybody say that selfishness and narcissism really helped my marriage yeah <laughs> Nobody ever says that. No, I was like, you just need to focus more on you. Actually, Selflessness, generosity, caring, giving, sacrifice. Those are all terrible toxic traits for you to have. <laughs> if you you should married. care more about yourself <laughs> and you should focus on Sarcasm, you. Sarcasm, I love it. But see, that's the principle here is that why why do we tend to interpret our relationship with God that way? And that that's why I think the, you know, the implication here is that if I really want to know God, 
mm. and I want to walk in the fullness of every blessing that Christ has for me, then I must care about what he cares about. And that is right here. He says what? He goes out and he looks for people and he comes to the ones at the end of the day and he says, why have you not worked and why have you been standing here all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he, and he says, them. what? You two go into the vineyard. Go over in the vineyard there and do what you can. And so that's what God cares about. So we have to care about that. One of the issues is a dead church is a church that doesn't care about building the kingdom anymore. Mm. And there's lots of them, you know? And so I think it's well, that's really... where you can get into those, especially those are the ones that probably are more than likely getting accused of like being really... Um, uh, clicky or like, what's the word I'm looking closed. for? Closed. Yeah. yeah. Like there are, it's called a holy huddle. Yeah. A holy huddle of like, you know, we just care about the people that are in this building right now and that's all we care about. Right. Or right. you get people that are saying, you know, they're, they don't care about anybody else other than themselves. And that they, you start getting these, you know, ideas about what Christianity is. And it's like, Oh, we yeah. just focus on the people in here and they just say they do good things, but they don't. And it's like, no, that's so why do churches die? Why do they become a click or a holy huddle when they lose their mission? And the reason why this is going to sound crazy and salty, it's because they're spiritually immature. Mm. You see, the thing is, this is that do you, when you care about building the kingdom and you reflect the heart that Jesus has, like the homeowner, and then that pushes you to ask yourself some really hard questions. And that is, is that, well, what is my role? What, how do I, how do I do that? Um, it's very similar to a family, you know, of, uh, a family lives on the coast, right? And in this family, they've been lobster fishermen for generations, right? And so the kids are on the boat, you know, in diapers, right? And mom is on the boat with dad and it's a family run thing. And they go out there and they throw the lobster, uh, pot things, the little yep. cages over, you know, and float them out there. And then they come back in and they go out there. Well, you know, mom is not strong enough to pick that thing up and throw it over, right? Only the dad is. And so what does she do? Well, she starts driving the boat, right? So she's kind of the, the little pilot of the boat, right. you know? Well, the little kids are underfoot. And so, well, you guys got to sit here when you're little and they don't do anything. But in a few years, what happens? You know, oh, they want to do something. You know, one interesting about little kids is whatever you're doing, when they're four or five, they want to do it too, right. right? And a lot of times they'll say, don't help me, don't help me. You know, I would do it myself, do it myself. And so, you know, dad starts saying, okay, well, I need you to mend this net or untangle this rope, this line. I right. need you to retie the buoy here and here. You did learn to tie the knot. Right. And so what happens is then that kid, as he grows up or she grows up is inculcated in it and they start to learn what they're good at, what they like and what they don't like. And then they become, uh, uh, experienced what lobster fishermen or right. whatever. 
whatever. Well, 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 I don't know what they call them in Maine. We need Emma in here. Should <laughs> she tell us what how to, how to refer to them properly? But you see, that's the thing is, is that they become mature and they they become good. It's in their blood. And that so many Christians miss out on that. They miss out on they the just, depth of faith. They miss out on the depth of relationship with God because they've never asked themselves and pushed themselves to. It's like, well, how do I become a part? What do I do? What can I do to help? the family business, so to speak, build the kingdom. And that's why the third mission of Foothills Christian Church is to help you discover your what? Your unique mission in life, right? right? Because that is the most mature thing. That that is the fastest way to maturity than anything else. Because if you get in discipleship and all you do is learn knowledge, what does knowledge do? I mean, knowledge is great, but if you're not using it, it doesn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah, because Paul says knowledge puffs up, Mm. but love builds up. And what's interesting is in that reference, what he's doing is we see the the heart of the uh, labors in the vineyard parable being applied to its logical conclusion in our lives. And that is, if I really want to go deep in my faith, I have to first and foremost care about what God cares about, right? And then the second of all is once I start caring about it, what am I going to do? I'm going to start pushing myself. I'm going to start developing myself. Well, where can I contribute? Mm. What can I do? And the biggest thing that people have today in a struggle in their faith is they don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. They are not rooted. And then they, they think that the fluff is enough and then a storm hits and it's not. And they're going, why didn't this sustain me? And that is, is because they were just pursuing knowledge, not pursuing love. Mm. And I want love to build me up. And love has an existential quality to it. What does that mean? Is that, well, it's like James, you brought up earlier. The existential quality of love is this. It's not just what I say or think, but what I actually do Mm -hmm. that makes love love. You know, and Paul said it this way, I can have the knowledge of angels, you know, and the prophecies of all men, but if I don't have love, I am a clongy, a clanging symbol, mm. you know, I'm just noise. And so he, he keeps saying over and over again that love has this component of, of, of what you do each and every day, you know, um, wives, here's something really, you can say you love, you love your husband, but if the words out of your mouth are critical and negative and disrespectful for him, it doesn't matter what you think in your heart or the commitment you've made in your head. You're not loving your husband, right? You know, men, you can say, you know, I work so hard to provide for my wife, you know, and all you do is provide money and food, but you don't try to connect with her on an emotional level and listen to her and let her, you know, know how important she is to you and love her and communicate that love to her on a regular basis. You're not loving your wife. You see, the love is a deeper component to it that has this material existential uh, quality to it. It's really important that we get into that. And so that that's what it means to grow deep in the faith is because I just can't say I care about reaching lost people because Jesus does. I have to actually participate in it because right. if I don't participate in it, I'm never going to understand how to really care about people. So I think that's a significant thing that we overlook, but this parable really drives home. Yeah, I think I think that analogy of understanding what that person, if you're in a relationship with them truly, cares about, you have to be willing to get into the things that they care about. Like right. and 
you know, that analogy falls apart a little bit, but it ultimately it does matter that, that God is interested in bringing people in and he doesn't want us saying, you know, I, I've been here since I was two years old. I should be getting better things than the person who, you know, on their deathbed accepted you. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a different thing, but he is interested in bringing the people at two years old and at three years old and mm-hmm. all the way up until how old's the oldest person right now on the planet? I don't know, like 104 or something like that. 113, I think. Yeah, something like that. He cares about all of them and he wants all of them in his kingdom. And yeah. if we're not actively saying we want that too, yeah. then we're not growing. Yeah. And so I think that's a, that's a excellent, you know, principle that we should apply today. You know, I, I have people and these people say they, they did, you brought this up on Tuesday is they did go do the work. Yeah. And that's the second biggest principle I think we should address. They they didn't go to the field and then stand in the field and not do anything. That was not what happened. They said, Oh, you want, you want me to be part of this? Okay. And they went out and yeah, maybe they only did work an hour, but they did work. And that's right. And so he paid them because they, they did. Work. Well, and not only did they just not work, but they accepted the invitation and they went to the vineyard. Right. You see, they went to the vineyard. Now, I, I think this is the second principle. The first principle is us personally, you know, and then as a church societally, what should we care about? Well, what Jesus cares about, and that is building his kingdom, inviting people in. The other aspect of it is, is is understanding is that people must accept the invitation. And so you, you talked about that parable earlier, and we'll dig into that later in the series where you said, oh, you know, we see this in other parables where the one guy invites all these people off the street and everything. But the first half of that parable is he invites all of his friends, relatives, and wealthy people. And guess what? They all said they're too busy. They or... all said they're too busy. So then what does he do? He says, fine, I'll go get everybody yeah. else. He goes, clear out the streets. But then at the end of that parable, which is so fascinating. I don't, I don't want to get too deep into it is he chides somebody for showing up for not properly being dressed. Hmm. Did you come to my, you come to my house, you accept my invitation and you can't even clean up to come. Now this isn't a admonition that, well, you can't get saved by Jesus until you clean yourself up. No, that's not it at all. The point is, is that I have to accept the invitation and understand the, uh, the, what you're depth. signing up for. What, yeah. I count, I've counted the cost, hmm. right? You know, I remember, and that's, what's really important. I remember a book I was reading. This guy was talking about what's wrong with, um, why people are failing at faith in America. And he said, I playing basketball with this guy the, at the local Y he said, I got to know him a little bit. One day he asked me what I do. And the guy in his book says, well, you know, I'm a pastor down at this church. And the guy just off the cuffs goes, yeah, you know, I used to be a Christian, but it just didn't work for me. Mm. And he, that really surprised him. And he was like, huh? That, that was just an interesting perspective that this guy saw it as like a thought experiment or a, a skill. A, a fad diet. Uh, yeah, a fad diet. It's, yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I tried keto and I didn't lose any weight. So I, I just left. So, I, so I'm doing something else now, you know. Yeah, um, I just find that really fascinating because so, so in essence, his point in it is, is that we're doing something wrong in the communication of the gospel. When people think it's just a, another way to lose weight, oh, you know what I'm saying? Or fire insurance or whatever. Yeah, or whatever, that we're doing something that's not right in there. And and so he said, so, so you have to accept the invitation. And I think it's really important in a church that wants to preach the gospel that we 
clearly communicate the invitation, right? Well, I'm going to a wedding next weekend, mm-hmm. and on the invitation, it does have this is a uh, black tie event. So there's an expectation of you're going to show up. Yeah having the correct credentials and you're not just going to show up in your in your jeans and your your t-shirt or yeah. show up you know in, yeah. in you know a swimsuit and be like hey we're the party at, right the party like, at. Yeah. so you have to understand what you're agreeing to when you say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna come do this or the same thing if you're if you're invited to be part of the bridal party there's an expectation you know it varies but like you're gonna yeah. have a specific outfit that the bride's probably gonna pick for you and you are choosing to submit to that Mm -hmm. that process and for some ladies that's a really hard process because not everybody has the same tastes we got it really easy as guys because it's usually just a shirt and tie but for for the ladies you know sometimes they're having to wear something that's completely not in their color palette or whatever it may be or a style that they abhor but they are choosing to submit and go you know well you count the cost when you uh, accept the invitation we do this all the time with everything. I mean, when you go and you order food, what do you do? You order your food based on what? Price. The co- price, <laughs> right? You pick your restaurant based on price, you know? It's common to say all the time, well, I like, it's good food, but it's just too expensive, right? Right? You know, they're too proud of their food, you know? So, oh, they, they, they have not found the right price point, you know? And then, so it's interesting to me that when it comes to the most important invitation of all, right? We treat it differently. We treat it differently and then wonder why people, you know, at a basketball game go, Hey, I tried. It didn't work for me. Mm. And so, well, what I would say is obviously you didn't know or understand the real thing. Right. right? Uh, and obviously you've not come to a point. And this is why like in the military and with cops and in athletic, like sports and stuff, they have this phrase they use all the time, especially cops. You know, they, when they talk, he says, yeah, this guy had a come to Jesus moment, Mm. you know? And so when you dig into it and you go, well, what does that mean? You know, he needs to come to Jesus moment. That means this guy gets to the point where he is so bottomed out that he has, he wakes up, so to speak. Right. And they call that a come to Jesus moment. And they're trying to reflect this reality. And that's why Jesus said, you know, if you're rich and you got all kinds of stuff and things are good for you, it's, it's pretty hard. hard. It's because you're going to, you're going to, you're think you're buying, uh, you're, you're buying fire insurance. Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit. So all of my investments are in stocks and securities, but I'm going to have a little gold on the side just in case. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have a little Christianity on the side just in case. And Jesus says, sorry, doesn't work that way. Well, and, and we see that played out in a lot of ways where there's a lot of people that are the most poor. When I was on, when I yeah. was in a mission trip in Honduras, just a quick anecdote, I was there with like 12 other Americans. We paid to be there. We came in and, you know, 20 bucks got us so much currency in mm-hmm. Honduran Limpres. And uh, this lady invited us over for uh, a meal and to pray with her and her family for like the prayer meeting for the church. We went up there and she had this, I mean, it, compared to our standards, a pretty meager offering. But, you know, the pastor tells me that's probably two weeks worth of food for her family that she put out. For us Americans who we could have gone and bought all of our own stuff and uh, whatever, but she wanted this honor and she wanted to show her faith that God would take care of her. Mm -hmm. And, And the people that 
tend to be poorer put a lot more faith that God's going to show up and do their thing versus the people who are richer. Like, nah, I'll just pay for it. I got it. Whatever. I don't need to rely on you. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things is that the invitation is different when, you know, if, if you're on a yacht, right, if you're on like a Jeff Bezos yacht, you know, this 500, half a billion dollar yacht, it's a monstrosity and you're out there and it's pulling up to the dock, you know, you've got 20 people out there bringing the boat in and these guys throw these lines, right? And you know, the lines are just going out there and they're tying it off. If you miss a line, it doesn't matter. What's one more line? What's one less line? Blah, blah, blah. But if you're out in the ocean and you're on a little dinghy all by yourself and some little sailboat comes by and throws out a line, that's a lifeline, right? Right. That line, catching that line is the most important thing. You know, that sailboat's going to go by. You better grab a hold of that thing and mm. never let go. And uh, that's why people, I think the, the illustration here is that people get so inundated with the world. We get so, we get so comfortable. And this is why affluence is often hard on faith, right? Because it takes away, you know, the, the importance of that specific invitation, that one lifeline, Mm. because spiritually you can have all the money in the world, but you're dead. Right. But you can kind of convince yourself you're not. So you're the guy living in the matrix, right? You're actually a battery for uh, AI somewhere and you don't know it, but you're comfortable. You're like the bad guy in the movie, the matrix, right? Who right. wanted to go back in and make yeah. me wealthy. He didn't care. That's what he wanted, right. right? He wanted material wealth. Everybody else was, you know, well, here's the truth. That's all you get. Right. Um, nothing else. And it's pretty meager sometimes, but it's the most freeing thing. And so I, I think I think what's really interesting about this is that this concept of accepting the invitation uh, really is, is something is that we have to call people to count the cost first. Mm-hmm. And if you want to grow in your faith, and if you're listening to this podcast, one of the things that you can do is ask yourself is, how well am I accepting the invitation, right? Am I all in? Am I putting everything into this invitation? And that basically means, am I becoming a person who's pursuing the heart of God and pursuing the things that God cares about? And what does God care about? He cares about building his kingdom. And and so I got to figure out how accepting the invitation of salvation means how do I become a part of what he's doing through my local church? And I need to be a part of it. And I mean, I believe that the church is the hope uh, the local church is the hope of the world. And I think we need to go far beyond where 10, 15, 20% of the people in the church are the ones who are accepting the invitation of Christ to walk in the fullness of his blessing by building his kingdom. Everybody, you know, churches in America could transform America. And I, I'm contrarian on this. I don't think the problem with the church in America is its leadership. I don't think that's it. I think the problem that the church in America is facing is the person who thinks they're a Christian and they're really not. Well, I mean, you and I have talked about this as we wrap up this kind of mental image of everyone wants the pastor to pull them across the finish line, right. you know, and they're sitting in their 
truck or dolly or you know trailer yeah. while the pastor's got the rope by himself pulling everybody in the congregation towards the finish line and they would get there and be more successful and be more joyful if they were all pulling together rather than people just sitting in a chair watching the pastor yeah. pull them that direction yes and that's part of the invitation is god wants you to get out of the truck get out and pull on the rope yeah, together. get on the wagon and pull and you find out wow this is good for me because that sedentary lifestyle back there is not good for me physically. And I can guarantee you that's a reflection of what happens to you spiritually. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, Pastor Harv's going to be preaching this week. So we're, we're going to be in for uh, a lot of great truths and he's going to really knock it out of the park, I'm sure. And mm -hmm. um, he's just getting back from his third Israel trip in three months. So wow. he'll have all kinds of stories, I'm sure, to share with us. And it's going to be a great sermon. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you next week here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.